Well, hello there, and welcome to episode seven of the Creative Marketing Podcast, the podcast aimed at helping creatives early in their journey learn how to better market themselves and make their work better stand out. I'm your host, Angus Boyle, and today on the show, I'm joined by a man who is a prolific abstract artist. He creates absolutely beautiful uh, pieces of abstract art. He goes live on his YouTube channel uh, once a week and, and creates paintings live, but also, uh, like I said, he's prolific. He creates a lot of really beautiful abstract art and has been in the business for well over 10 years. And his name is Suarez, spelled S-W-A-R-E-Z. If you want to go check out Suarez Art on Instagram, give him a follow. Check out the YouTube for sure for some really cool live videos and cool other videos of of the process of his painting, but then also some really, really good, really, really good videos for artists early in their career who are looking for sort of tips on all aspects of becoming a successful artist and, and turning that art into a career, basically. So a resource that I personally have gone to a lot and have learned a great deal from and who I hope you will learn from in this episode too. Just to warn you, I've got to be honest and upfront, the audio quality is kind of shitty, it's really annoying because the content of what we talk about is super on point and is really useful and so I toyed, like I, I was sort of torn and I thought about maybe not releasing the episode because the, the there's a there's a bunch of static noises and popping and stuff throughout but I think the content of what's discussed here and, and some of the tips and some of the insights are are really useful and really valuable so I, I decided to go for it and share the episode with you so understand that some people may take issue with the audio problems if that's you well better look next time I've recorded the next two episodes and they are impeccable audio quality so you can at least look forward to that but like I said I think there's some really useful valuable lessons in here so I wanted to share those with you and I think what some of what we discussed is really interesting and um, personally I found it really useful and I think anyone looking to market any form of art or creativity will also benefit from it other than that uh, gotta give a special shout out to our sponsors artbyangus.com yeah that's me it's my website artbyangus.com honestly I think I'm toying with this idea I think I'm gonna get rid of the website well, not like completely get rid of it, but I think I'm going to take all the art down after Christmas, I guess, like 1st of January or whatever, and focus on then potentially looking to, to work towards doing some sort of gallery show. So, you know, get them while you still can, com. If you enjoy the episode, if you have enjoyed any other episodes, uh, if you're getting value from this podcast, would really appreciate if you could leave a review for the podcast. Obviously hit subscribe. All those things help greatly in the charts and in terms of getting discovered, things like that. Other than that, I hope you're having a great day and I hope that this podcast makes your day even better. Welcome to the Creative Marketing Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode seven of the Creative Marketing Podcast. Today I am joined by abstract artist and a, and also a YouTuber, a man who, who creates goes live weekly to do paintings live on YouTube. A man whose first name I know and whose second name I do not know. His first name's Ed and his AKA name is Suarez. Uh, so, Mr. Ed, Mr. Suarez, welcome to the show, sir. Hello, thank you for having me. Yes, um, yeah, my, my surname is pretty much irrelevant because it's quite boring. But um, yeah, well, you can call me whatever you like, as long as it's not too too demeaning. Then I'm, I'm fine with whatever, really. <laughs> I'll try my best not to be demeaning. So I guess to begin with, I've given my rubbish spiel. I like to ask people to to give their own sort of elevator pictures. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do. Uh, okay, well, uh, I, I'm an abstract artist. That, that's basically it. I like big colours and bold shapes, and um, just, that's what fascinates me. Really, it, it's quite uncomplicated, and um, 
I just discovered it by accident in 2007. Uh, never created before in my entire life. Can barely string a sentence together with a written word. Um, and yet I've discovered this and liked it. And that's pretty much it, really. Everything is born out of the fact that I did something and I liked it. And that was five hours that changed my life, which is the first time I'd ever picked up paint and some paintbrushes without a clue about what I was doing. But I loved it and thought, right, let's, let's see what I can do here. And that's really where it all started. But I got no art training, never been to colleges, don't have a PhD in it, um, quite uneducated. But I, I can do this and I just keep everything nice and simple. And here we are all those years later, third, yeah, 13 years later, and it's my sole source of income. I'm successful at what I do. It depends how you want to define success, but I make a living out of it. And so do those my best friend of 25 years, Adrian, who works alongside me as well. We both you know, earn a living from it, um, you know, despite pandemics and Brexit, economic slowdowns and boom and bust, we are still here, still doing it and still investing it back into what we're doing and try and make every, everything as good as we possibly can. But it's, it's great. It's just great fun. That's why I like it. And it's, it's as uncomplicated as that. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I can attest to the, the beauty of your pieces. So to anyone listening, I would suggest go follow right now on uh, Instagram, YouTube, wherever you consume your content to see uh, firsthand the paintings that we're talking about. I guess to sort of bring it back, this, this the aim of this show is very much to help people early in their creative journey sort of learn how to go about starting to market themselves, start to build a brand. So you touched on, you know, you'd never painted and then you picked up a paintbrush. Can you take us back to the start and sort of a bit about what that journey looked like, how you began and how you sort of took your first steps to building that brand and building that business? Yeah, sure. Well, I think, I think particularly for me, because I had absolutely no clue what I was doing, the important thing whilst I was, I quote, working for a living, you know, working for somebody else, it was important for me to learn my craft. And it's one of the things that I try and tell any aspiring creative person just starting out look if you want to be good at what you do and if you want to really enjoy what you're doing no matter whether you want to be commercially successful or not because i do know a lot of artists that want to aspire but aren't really bothered about selling anything and there's a two distinct two distinctions to be had there about why you want to do this but irrespective of whether you want to sell anything or whether you don't the crucial thing certainly for me is is, is i want to keep getting better so if you start out with a particular discipline my advice is always start by discovering what it is that you like doing and then practice 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 literally like there is no tomorrow like your life depends on it I'm not a believer in in talent being the be all and end all of everything. And I think it's a very misused word uh, across the globe in all kinds of activities. There are thousands of far more talented than me and will always be far more talented, even, you know, in, in the realms that I move in, in terms of abstract or modernism or whatever you like to call it. So, so that's number one. But what I've done is found a thing that I like to do, and I've practiced it over and over again, very hard, and continually do so. And for your own sense of self, it helps you build confidence and it helps you get better. And ultimately, you will get to a point where you feel very confident in what you're doing, and that establishes a kind of base level. So for me, I spent five and a half years doing exactly that. So I worked two jobs and... You know, probably 14, 15 hour days. And then afterwards, I'd come home and in a converted room in, in my house, in a little two bed house, one room was my art studio and the other room was where I slept in. And any spare money I got, I bought canvases and I bought acrylic 
paint and I learned what happened when you put them together and I swirled them around and I made lines and I made pretty patterns and I used different tools and I worked out the things that worked and most importantly the things that didn't and I kept doing this and doing this and doing this and I'd save up some money still not selling anything I saved money and I got a little studio that was um, 100 pounds a month and from there I could then separate home from work so practice is number one number two creative space to work in so that was my next step up so I do that still not selling anything but I'm just working hard with two jobs to try and fund all this and still I keep practicing and still I keep working at it and still I'm not selling anything so I then start to go bigger I think okay well well these small canvases great fantastic but what happens if I decide to go bigger and at all stages I'm considering in my head I think I'd like to do this for a living so like I said two minutes ago I think this is for, for most creative people one of the very early decisions that really they should be making I love this thing that I've discovered what am I going to do with it do I turn it into a career and a business because I love it so much or am I happy to just have it as my hobby but still be awesome at it and love it so for me I went on one direction I want this to be my livelihood at at some point in the future but I know for many people certainly that talk to me they don't necessarily want that but they do want success they want to be recognized they want to be good at what they do which is fantastic and whichever one you choose is up to you but for those of us that want to make it commercial and actually earn money from it that means we have to find the audience and all that is is that group of raving fans that want to consume what you do and in a world of 7.8 billion people or however many we've got it's actually not that difficult for a creative person to find that hardcore group of people that really enjoy what they do and it, it, it does take effort but it's not as complex as people may think so right from early days as I was practicing as I was doing what I was doing and buying more materials going bigger learning more about I, I had my eye firmly set on well at some point is anybody going to want to buy this and early on I didn't really have the confidence to think yes they do because I didn't value what I was doing maybe because I'm still a baby. But as time progresses and you have a few key standout pieces, you think, whoa, actually, I think that's pretty good. You I tended to keep those. So by the time I eventually launched and, if you like, went pro, uh, I had a 100 really strong pieces to be able to offer to the world. And at that point, I'd also started to do things like um, Twitter and Facebook, very late to Instagram, I might add. But I'd started to build a following on Twitter, etc. Now, all that did at the time, this is sort of you know five years into doing this, was really, if you, if you like, surround the central point, which is my website. And, uh, and this is one thing, you, you probably won't do a lot of talking because I tend to talk a lot. <laughs> I'm love so sorry. It, love it. But the important thing for me was, is, is I understand that we're a logical age. And I understand understand that from my point of view and yours may be different may be different but uh I did not want to be represented by a gallery. I thought the gallery network, and still do, what is an outdated and outmoded way of doing things. I wanted to, right from the start, say, okay, I've got something that I believe in. This is what I do. And I wanted to then to try and find that group of people, my market, that would respond to that. And I didn't see, maybe naively, a need to have somebody else in the middle of that process handling all that for me especially not taking 50%, yeah. so, which is another issue. So I did start to think, as I was, I was also thinking of the commercials alongside being able to develop my own talent, my own skill. So as the time got closer to a natural point and I thought, oh, 
something here. This is crazy. I really don't enjoy working for a living for somebody else. I want to do this on my own. Can I do it? So I thought, right, I needed a name. I needed a website. And everyone's talking about Google ranking. So I started to, to think, okay, I need to look in. There must be a way that if I type in modern art into Google, that instead of Pinterest and Etsy and Saatchi Art and eBay coming up on page one, what is there to stop me from also being there? So again, maybe a very broad and naive question to ask, but I am very much of the mindset that if somebody else can do it, so can I. And that's a broad principle I operate on to this day. So my refusal to be dragged down into the depths of nothingness on page 27 forced me to learn about how search engines work. So over the, over the course of that four or five years, I built a website and continually refined it and continued to learn and educate myself about what it takes to appear on page one for your chosen search terms. So it's pointless me trying to think I'm going to get on page one for art. But if I was to do large scale abstract, it's easier for me to appear on page one for a, broad, a more niche search than it is for the bigger ones. And alongside of that, I also decided that I'd make my work quite niche as well, because I knew that when I would find the people that engage with it, I've got them. So rather than do, you know, animal portraits or landscapes and uh, mountain views or trees and then try and do abstracts and then try and do that, there was no point because I'd be spreading myself too thin. What I enjoyed doing was one thing, large scale, colourful abstracts. And that's where I spent my time. So of course, then I fused that together with what I was presenting online. And suddenly I have a niche. I have a product. I'm getting good at it at that point. And I've also got an online presence. And it's it's staggering. As you begin to build that after a couple of years, you, you start to build a following. The same people start to like what you're doing. The same kind of traffic starts to come to your site and it becomes constant and regular. So in the end, after five and a half years, I turned to my employer and I said, that's it. I'm quitting. So I managed to find a studio space about my fourth or fifth studio, continually upgrading as I managed to save some money. And I took a giant leap of faith. I don't mind admitting I had three months worth of money saved up when I quit my job. That's all I had. And I took on a commercial lease in a commercial building for three years, knowing I had three months worth of money. It was either either I'm going to go to jail or I'm going to be faced with a long legal battle because I'm going to be evicted in my, from my lease, or I make it work. And what's surprising is, is when you're backed into a corner, just how much you come out fighting because suddenly everything. So I literally emailed every interior designer I could find. I went onto every blog I could find and left guest post, printed on everything I could. I used what little money I had to do the only bit of Google promotion I could with a very early version of Google AdWords. I put up flyers. I posted around my local district. I opened up my terrible looking studio. I literally did everything I could possibly think of to drum up some interest. And I got my very first inquiry two weeks later. And it was from a guy in Dubai. And he'd seen it online. And he ended up buying 38 pence. So that, that got me started. That, that was the bit. But of course, without that five and a half years worth of work, I wouldn't have been in that position. Uh, so that investment that came from him and that purchase 
sort of gave me a little bit of a buffer. And from then on, I just painted and uploaded, painted, uploaded. And it's literally been that ever since. So everything else I do really surrounds that one central thing. And that is the website. That's the nucleus of everything. It's where 97% of all inquiries come from. It's the bread and butter of the business. If that didn't exist, um, but I've built it in such a way now and continually build and refine and research and improve and modify to keep it as current as I possibly can. And I'm always trying to think about how my users and my visitors will interact with that. And all I'm trying to do is to take away all the barriers between an interest being piqued in someone's mind to the point at which it hangs on their wall. Uh, one of the sad things I think about galleries is, is that's one of the hurdles you get between creative and, and consumer at the other end. So again, another reason why I've removed that is because I feel it's an obstacle. So like as we're doing now, we've done a couple of clicks of a mouse and an email exchange, and boom, we're as good as sat in the same room. Fantastic. And it should be no different with your creative output. So if you're a potter, a watercolorist, um, a needlepoint, embroiderer, a sculptor, doesn't make any difference. What you have is something beautiful you want to share with the world. Somehow you can find the people that will engage with you. Uh, and that's all I've done. And there is no secret to that. The only two things I've done, there are literally, and I, and I, I swear this in my life, and it might sound really cheesy, but to keep it basic, there's only two things and two, be utterly relentless in pursuing it. And that's it. And, and that's what. What was the first one, sorry? Uh, I, it is that I wanted to chase. So I, I wanted to do this as a living. I wanted to do big, large, colorful abstracts. And I wanted to do it without anybody else's help. So that was my basic model for success. And all I've attached to that is my relentlessness to give up. And that's it. I'll work 24-7 if I have to. Nothing else matters. I just want this. And that's it. And that's, that's the only two ingredients. There's no fluff and apple pie. There's no complicated mantra. There's no angst. There's, I hopefully, not much ego. There's a brand and I'm quite a bubbly character and I like life and I'm very enthusiastic, but that's just me as a person. But I'm taking away all the BS and taking away all the rubbish that gets surrounded by all this kind of thing in our industry. This is what I do. If you like it, and you can afford it, and you want the best service you're ever going to get, then give me a shout. If you've got a giant white wall, and you've renovated your home, and you literally don't know what to do with it, put your hand out, I'll grab hold of it, and, and we'll do this together. And you'll have sunk at the end of it, you'll think, honestly, this is the best thing I've ever done. If I can't deliver that, I don't deserve to get paid. And I've built the whole service around that. You know, because let's face it, you know, where you live, you, you can change your floor coverings, you can change your bedding, you can change window blinds, and you can even re-tarmac your driveway and put, put boarding on the outside of your house, or you can move. But what you buy in terms of your art stays with you forever. So by goodness, I need to get that right for someone who's going to shell out a lot of money for it. And, and that's a great, that's a great challenge to have for anybody. So so that, that that's my that's my philosophy. That's how I approach everything all the time. But that, that's the backstory. That's the principle. Amazing. I, I think I've nodded off. No, definitely not. That was fascinating. And definitely some some very useful uh, some useful bits of knowledge dropped in there for the listeners, I think. And yeah, I love your uh, 
I love your sort of the way you've managed to do it all, build it all yourself without, you know, those galleries and those sort of more traditional routes. I think it's really admirable. It's really cool. And also, I think your content as well is like for anyone listening who's looking for advice. I think there's some similarities there because I only started really painting this year, like taking it properly, doing it Uh, like as lockdown began. And I've been prolific, if I say so. I've just done like over 100 paintings since lockdown. So I say it sounds reminiscent of your early days where I'm sort of running out of space in the house for canvases and stuff. One thing that I always ask is in those earlier years, any early failures or any early sort of or not not necessarily throughout that journey, any failures that you learned a lot from or and any big breakthrough moments? I'm not going to cliche every other person you probably ask. Well, you've got to have failure to be successful. Mm -hmm. That that has been done a thousand times over. So I'm not going to insult anybody listening by saying that. But the key thing for me about failing is, is whilst at the time it's quite distressing and you feel I shouldn't be doing this or why am I bothering and believe it or not I still get those moments today the one thing it does do is I I think aside from teaching you some technical things about your materials and about your craft for me the greater thing it teaches me is is resolve so how committed am I to doing this that when everything around me has collapsed into a great big pile of brown smelly stuff Am I yet again going to drag myself up from this whole pit of self-loathing and despair into a point where I think that I can conquer the world again? So irrespective about the technical lessons, maybe it's a process or a blending technique, or I've just written off £300 worth of paint because it's got brown, because I've mixed it too much. How quickly can I shake that off and just get on as normal? So that for me is the biggest learning curve I get these days and probably has always been from failure. I've done a couple of live streams recently that to me, to, 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 to the average view, look great and look fantastic, but I've not been happy with the outcome. Even though I've spent time off camera, off the broadcast, rectifying some of the things I don't like about it, it's made it even worse. And when you're doing that live in on the internet, in front of how many people are watching across multiple platforms, as you're, go, as you're doing that, it's very difficult to mask your disappointment when something isn't going right. Afterwards, I really beat myself up about it. And then next week, I have to come back happy, jolly, and about to create something amazing again. So learning actually that it doesn't matter. I think that's the point I'm making. If you really, really mess things up, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're still here. Your heart's still beating. The people surround you still love you. Hopefully, you've still got a roof over your head unless something exploded. And so, so it's all good, but we do tend to be very hard on ourselves when things don't go right. So that's what I now take from failure. And trust me, it happens all the time, not just from a creative point of view, but from a business point of view. Let's not forget when you're doing this as a commercial enterprise, there is no PDF to download for, for doing this and running a business. There's no user manual for how to deal with a client in Brazil uh, who wants something specific to a client in Edinburgh who likes a small painting but wants the frame changing. So every time you open up your laptop or download an email or pick up the phone, you're rewriting the rule book on what it is to deal with the people that engage with what you do. Every comment you get, whether it's good or bad, you still have to have a reaction to and you still have to deal with. So failure comes in many, many forms and the way you react to good and bad comes in many different ways. And certainly these days, a lot of that can be media. So I think it's a good it's a good thing to be able to switch everything off now and again. Yeah. As far as breakthrough moments go, 
it's a, the, the Dubai client came along at the right time. I, I won't kid you about that. There's also been a couple of paintings where I've tried different things and it's worked spectacularly well, which has come off the back of it working spectacularly badly. So I think having that resolve, having that determination and being able to carry on with something when it hasn't gone right, often it's the 10th when you try something when suddenly you figure out what it is that you've done wrong all those times. And there was one one or two paintings I've done in my entire history. I'm getting pretty good at this now. And that's an assumption in my own head. That's not to be sent out there to get a response from. But in my own head, my own underlining of the fact that actually I, I'm okay to keep pursuing this. Yes, there were two or three pieces that did that. Whether that is then judged from anyone else as being noticeable or worthy of that statement, I'll, I'll let everybody else, they, they can judge for that. But when I hit those points in my head, I thought, yeah, now you're an artist, mate. That's not that. That's pretty good. In anybody's book, if I never do anything else decent again, that's pretty good. So, yeah, there were a few moments like that with a few big paintings that I've done that, that just came out spectacularly well. And I've had a few accidents, a few things that came out really good. But I've been at it now for 13 years, pretty much day in and day out. And I would hope so. So these things go in waves. Your, your creativity will go in waves. It's, in the early days, for me, it was all about technical and less about composition. Now I've learned and mastered what my paints are doing. It comes more about, well, where else can I take them? What other things can I add to it? So it's a real interesting dynamic. It'd be very interesting to see and to hear about whether that's uh, the same for other creative people. I believe it can be, but, but it just moves. Your phases of development just move from one thing to another. But it is very much like learning a musical instrument. At some point, you don't need to practice certain things because they're just automatic. And that frees up your space to go on into other things and developing other ways. Um, so that's great. So we're always practicing all the time, but just in different areas, if that makes sense. Yeah, completely. It definitely makes sense. I'm going to zero in on YouTube because I actually watched a video earlier today where it was... You were it was November last year, I believe, and it, you were coming up on 10K subscribers on YouTube. And now you've in under a year, you've more than doubled that. So it's over 20K subscribers. So any advice for people looking to start out a presence on YouTube and to sort of grow a, a following there, I guess? Do it on Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, I, I have this conversation all the time with my, my colleague, Adrian, who works alongside me. YouTube is an interesting platform, certainly at the moment, and certainly since you know we, we've had issues during the pandemic. Now, of course, it's a, it's a revenue-driven advertising platform. That's what it is. You can approach YouTube in a couple of different ways. You either want it as a revenue generator or you just want it because you want to put content out there. So I'd say do your research, find your niche and go for it. Yeah, well, on behalf of, of all the people consuming that free content, I'll say thank you because I know I've personally learned a bunch uh, from it and and there's some serious value in there. And and also from watching the painting too, from you know, because that's another aspect of learning, I think, is is watching and hearing you sort of think out loud as you're as you're approaching pieces and seeing how you're what you're thinking about as you're adding certain elements to the to the pictures and stuff. That's also, I think, you know, a lot to be learned there and also very entertaining. So yeah, thank you for that. This is a new question that I've thought of and I've decided is going to be a feature in this podcast. So uh, what's the most common DM you get and and what's the answer to it? <laughs> um, hello, your posts are awesome. Please go here and send them a direct <laughs> message so, so that we can promote you. Your work is awesome. Uh, so, so let me explain that. So... The, the bulk of, uh, of interactions to followers comes from Instagram at the moment. 
and I am plagued on a daily basis by accounts sending me messages going, we think you're awesome. We can promote you to 300,000 followers for a small admin fee. Da, 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 da. Guaranteed this and guaranteed that. And it's so awesome. No, no, I'll tell you what it is. It's a way to earn money for private people on Instagram. For me, it's just an absolute waste of time. And I laugh at it. And I, I block and delete as many as possible. But occasionally, those that leave um, a message on an Instagram post, I have great pleasure in telling them why I'm not going to be using their service and spending 24 euros. So I'm very wary of anyone just sending in some direct things saying, saying that kind of thing. But equally, I don't also need to promote it for that reason because I'd be promoting it for the sake of it. People will find me, and if they want something, they'll find it, and then we'll open up the conversation, and I'll look after them. I'll give them a great experience and a fantastic, unforgettable art-buying journey. That's the whole point. Very occasionally, someone goes, this is perfect for my conservatory. Can I buy it? At which point I go, where do you live? And we'll come and bring it up. Is there anything else you want to see? You know, but we're still having that conversation. So I know that that's a journey that is triggered by a visit to the website. It's not triggered by promoting 24 euros on a bizarre random art site. That just doesn't happen because that is not my audience. And I think this is a mistake a lot of creatives make. They think that just by casting a very wide net everywhere that they're going to find their... It isn't. It isn't true. These days, you can be quite targeted in what you do. I'll give you, for instance, if I may, so say you're a watercolorist, and I don't know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, your works are, I, I don't know, um, you know, maybe 20 inches wide, and they're in frames, and they're all originals, you might want to do some prints at 45 quid, sell the originals for two to 400, so sit down and write down where you think that market is going to be, well, it probably covers everyone between the ages of 18 and 85, so fantastic, but that's very broad. Are you concerned with selling it online? If not, how do you target locally? Okay, well, do I have any art groups for a start? Do I have any local, uh, I don't know, uh, halls that I could rent? Could I maybe do something in my local town? Could I do a, you know, a, a, a tabletop sale? Could I do, where could I advertise? Could I join a Facebook group and do something advertising locally? Could I get on the radio? Uh, could I target maybe a more mature group, if that's where I think this is is going, you know, am I traditional in my approach? Am I doing waterscapes? Am I doing cityscapes? Is it a little bit on the surreal side? You know, a little bit of research online will start to narrow down where you can probably target more effectively where you're potentially going to find an audience. You know, a watercolorist doing a particular size of painting, and already we're starting to narrow down where our target market might be if we're producing it on a local level. So I'm always trying to tailor my website towards my target market. You know, so it's always about colour. It's all, I'm always using words that my market might use, like you know, renovation, refurbishment, and uh, sofa, and kitchen, and flooring, and um, material, and colour, and you know, buzzwords that that my demographic will use when they're redesigning their homes. Mm -hmm. You see what I mean? Yeah. I talk about things. I'm I'm still targeting towards a particular niche of people, but over the years I've learned, you know that's what my market is and it's no different no different for everybody else so uh, anyway yeah but that's the dm i get the most sorry it's taken 20 minutes to answer but i feel it's important yeah no definitely um yeah i, I get a few of those i can only imagine how many you get because i get hit with quite a lot of them as well um yeah <laughs> i haven't fallen for it yet though even though they guarantee amazing results. So I think another thing in terms of like getting started with art that people, I think, I think it's kind of often a taboo subject to talk about and people sort of struggle with a lot. But I know that you've sort of talked openly in a lot of your content about is like, how do you go about in your advice? What would your advice be to going about initially pricing art and then 
as you progress how you would what increments you would raise that in you know how you would what signals you take is like now is the time I would raise my prices that sort of thing it's an almost impossible ask uh, that question uh, a great great question but I find that very very difficult to answer look one, one of the reasons I went big in the first place is because you know if you buy a bigger house the house costs more money so it, it was it was a basic one like that from my perspective I think the difficulty is starting out when you know some of them were 40 50 60 pounds then I started doing, they were selling, and then it was, well, I'll try 250, and they, they would sell. And then a friend of mine said, why, why don't you do something at 1,250? And I'm like, no one's ever going to spend that amount of money. And somebody did. And then I thought, oh, okay, right. So I kind of stumbled along, really. And I just started at a point at which, okay, well, I know how much it costs. If this small abstract costs 70 pounds to make, and... It's taken an hour and a half to put on the website, which if I was paying myself 20 pounds an hour, so I'm all in for 100 quid. If I wanted to double my money, that's 200. If I double it and then a bit, that's 250. Okay, let's try it at 250. How am I going to justify that to be 250 pounds? So, okay. So I thought myself, well, let's give somebody a bit of a background as to why this exists in the first place. Let's put, let's put some context behind it. So I wrote about it. So I then tried to write four or 500 words about every piece. So if someone liked it visually, let's try and engage them, give them a bit more value to justify the ticket price. And that seemed to work. So I raised it a little bit more. And then, right, okay, so one thing you can show someone is what a painting looks like. But you can't, again, here's the C word, you can't put it into context. I started showing them in room settings. So I downloaded some stock images off, off uh, the internet and used, learned how to use Photoshop and then put them into context so they can see the size and the shape and how it might look. I'm giving context as to why it exists and what I think about it. I'm giving it context as to what it might look like and how it might look like in your home. And now I'm asking this amount of money for it. So my justification for asking the price is to put everything into a context that, if you like, sells, sells the image to someone who's looking at it. Oh, that looks nice with a purple sofa. I've got a purple sofa. Therefore, ergo, it's going to look nice in my house. And then you've got them. Then it becomes about the decision, can I afford to buy it from this guy or not? So in the early days, I would say that if you're, if you're wanting to price something, number one, have a look at what everybody else is doing. That's, that's the first start of a 10. So in your niche, what is everybody else doing? Make a judgment call on where you think you sit with that and then price it at that. Now, I'm quite a firm believer that I don't care if you've been painting for a month or a thousand months. If you think your work's good enough, price it. Price it good enough, but it has to be within what your market is prepared to pay. So the market that searches for my work probably has a lower and an upper limit to pay. I can't price it at 50 grand a shot because I don't move within the realms of um, Saatchi and the Royal Academy and Goldsmiths and the V&A and the Venice Biennale and Art Basel in Miami. I'm not represented by White Cube Gallery and all these top level things. I have no interest in Sotheby's or um, Christie's. Or I don't move in these giant echelons. Really, in those respects, no one cares. My market, I know where it's at. And I know what a good piece of large art is on the open market. It's actually very keenly priced. It's probably below that. But I know what my market's ready to pay for it. If you put one of my spin paintings next to a Damien Hurst spin painting of the same size, the materials and the canvas, well, probably my materials and canvas are worth a lot more because <laughs> I know how his are made. <laughs> but it's all about context because of who he is and the circles he moves in. 
uh, determines what people are prepared to pay for his works. So that's what I would just say. You learn, look, to a great lesson degree, go find out what everybody else is doing and price it at that. That, that would be yeah. it. Does that, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And seems, yeah, seems like a sensible approach. I think that does make sense, you know, figuring out what the, the market is and either matching or going slightly under that for sure. Another thing I've heard you talk about a bit is, you know, the impact of of Brexit on the on the British economy and, you know, that's slowing things down. But what I thought was, you know, a, a great response from you is that, well, whatever, we don't care. The money's always somewhere and we're going to go and move and find where those maybe new emerging 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 markets are that sort of thing just wanted maybe your thoughts on that how how that works how you go about maybe finding those new places when one source of income maybe drops those sort of thing it's going to be quite a short answer i genuinely haven't got a clue (laughs) brexit was difficult in so many ways because um those who might have a disposable income or income available to buy art suddenly were concerned the value of what is around them was dropping because you know value for their investments property their job uncertainties was causing them to have to retreat back into a safe place. So for two years, with what was unfortunately a media-derived uncertainty, I mean, in actual fact, there's no difference to where we were when we voted. I mean, although nothing has physically changed, people's perceptions about what may change cause them to keep their hands firmly in their pockets. So in actual fact, for a couple of years, it's been extremely difficult and it's caused a lot a big shift change in the art market and you know i've known galleries that have gone under and other artists have to remortgage and it's caused a lot of problems because of uncertainty for us during that time really uh, all we could do is concentrate on smaller artworks and concentrate on being still present still you know being a, a presence on youtube still doing exactly what we're doing but making everything a bit smaller because it means you spend per head is smaller. So we've had to work a lot harder to generate a similar uh, revenue streams. So it's been incredibly tough. People aren't moving house. They're not moving to bigger properties. They're not renovating. They're not refurbishing. They're staying where they are. And they're literally doing sales of luxury cars go down. Uh, economic output goes down. You know, we've all had a horror story for the last two years. Trade deals don't get done. There's problems with negotiations. And everybody gets very jittery. So whilst some areas of the global economy then are booming, and you look at Asia, Pacific Basin, and you go everywhere from China through to Asia, and even places in Europe, you know, you've got places like Macedonia and Lithuania really starting to, to have some strong economic progress. And you look across into the US and you look at states that are, you know, until the pandemic, really starting to do well and emerging, you know, in Texas and lots of other places, really starting to get grips with attracting international interest. There are pockets of wealth and pockets of prosperity, for sure. But actually finding them and finding how to get in there is something we've struggled with. You know, it's not as easy as, oh, let's find a Japanese or a Chinese interior designer and let's get a conversation going because I just don't care. Uh, so, so, yeah, I don't have a way out of that. All we had as an escape route was to downsize everything a little bit um, and just bring the actual value per transaction down, um, but push the volume up. So we've had to work twice as hard for the same money. That's it in a nutshell, really. That's our that's our reaction to Brexit. Makes sense, makes sense. One thing I know as well that you've talked about in terms of, so that was like diversifying in terms of maybe location, but I know you talk about diversifying in terms of product as well, like moving into maybe say sculpture and, and maybe, I know you also have sell like merch and stuff like that. So just some thoughts on how people could go about that sort of, diversifying from just a single revenue stream yeah i I think the key thing is is if you if you want to bring in some kind of regular income 
albeit I'll say right from the outset, it's no, you know, I have quite high operating costs every month. So if I wasn't able to sell originals, then I'm in trouble. But that notwithstanding, YouTube is just a small, very, very small revenue. The merchandise is a very small revenue. Patreon, very small revenue. If you're going to do this and subsidize the main thing, you need several different outlets. So merch is great, but unless you've got a significant fan base, the chances are that's not going to produce, you know, thousands of pounds every month. It just isn't. Uh, certainly doesn't for us. Uh, so really, the benefit for us in terms of that is that, yeah, it gives a little bit of revenue every month, but it's more about the brand and more about promoting Suarez out. So someone might see a face mask in the supermarket and go, oh, excuse me, where did you get that from? Yeah, and off it goes from there. So as yeah. far as giving giving more people an opportunity to be front and centre to what it is that we do, which let's be honest, you take a logo away, it's all about the paint then that's what this is designed to do. So I never, ever went into this as a revenue generator, albeit it gives a small one. And I, well, and I mean it is minute. But what it does do is allow two things to happen. It gets my brand out there, and it also allows those who aren't in a position to buy a giant piece of art for whatever reason, space, funds, whatever, gives an opportunity to, to enjoy something that's colourful and happy and bright and cheerful without it costing them a marriage so you know it wins on all levels but it's not there as a replacement for revenue if i wanted to do that i'd do prints but to be honest with you prints are so difficult to manage for me and i've never any time i've gone near doing samples of them the quality is such a difficult thing to manage especially when you've got third parties involved and it, that's such a complex and difficult thing you know to evolve to need your revenue generator that i just don't want to get it i'm not even getting interested in it it's just not where I'm at. That that'll be a podcast for itself in another day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I, I'd say if you're gonna do this, yeah, start with YouTube, but don't have any expectations. Um if you can do a bit of live streaming, if you've got a mobile phone, get on onto Instagram, start streaming some stuff, uh, do the same on Facebook, just to get yourself going. You can do it on YouTube. If you can get onto one of the uh, print on demand sites like Teespring, like Printify any of these people, upload some designs, get a shop on the go, start pumping that out there, get yourself notified wearing things, get freebies out to people, get them to photograph stuff, that's your merch taken care of. I'd just say, unless you're going to paint, start painting in the you know, naked or do anything X-rated, then Patreon's great, but you've really got to keep on top of it. But yeah, I don't think anything is, is a replacement for what we do, but it can be it can be an interesting add-on. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That definitely makes sense. So then, last question is: Where can people find you? Where can people connect with you and, and stay following your journey? <clears throat> okay. So it's Suarez.co.uk. It's that's S-W-A-R-E-Z.co.uk. That's the main site for everything. Everything's on there. Links to everything is on there. You can't go wrong. If you just typed in Suarez Art into the big old internet which is S-W-A-R-E-Z, art, then you'll find everything available there. And we're on every platform, doing just about everything you can imagine. We're also on YouTube every most Wednesdays, uh, doing a live broadcast. It's completely uninterrupted, no advert. And we're creating live art from the, benef- from the beauty of my uh, industrial paint pod. Uh, I've got my wireless cameras everywhere. It's all piped in high definition through to your TV or your phone or your laptop. And I've got my face mask on and I've got extractors going and there's four different camera angles, good production content, high quality. And we're doing that every week as well, which is utterly terrifying. Um, we've done a year's worth so far. It's going really well. I'm here, there and everywhere. I've been up all over the place. We've done a little bit of TV work as well. You can go to BBC iPlayer. 
and we've done a series with uh, Nick Knowles called Home is Where the Art Is, so uh, you can access that pretty much from anywhere. So, you know, that's all quite fun as well. Uh, but you'll find all the links from the website. The website's the most space place to go, but anywhere online you type Inspiring Art, you'll find me. Can't go wrong. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to come on. I think there's definitely going to be some, some seriously useful nuggets of value in there for people listening. So really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome and thank you. And I uh, hope you get some value from it. And cheers. I really appreciate this. It's yeah. Been and great hopefully fun. someday, someday I'll, I'll hopefully be able to post Corona, come and visit, see the studio in real life. You, do, you should do that, dude. Honestly, we haven't had a red carpet yet for a while. So it gives me a chance to vacuum it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Thank awesome. you so much. Have a great day. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. This has been the Creative Marketing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a review if you liked it. If you didn't like it, don't leave us a review. Uh, I mean, if you made it this far and you didn't like it, I'm impressed. Well done. But still don't leave us a review. Uh, unless you you didn't like it, but you're going to give us a good review. Basically, if you're going to leave a review, make it a fucking good one. All right. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Angus Boyle, A-E-N-G-U-S. Boyle, spelled the usual way. Uh, other than that... Have a fucking great day, even better week, even better year. It's nearly Christmas, fucking let's go.